Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. Hey y'all, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I am so excited to have John Prendergast on the show today. And I'm going to tell you all officially about him in one second. But before I do that, I have a couple of announcements. And I also wanted to tell you how I met him and why I wanted him so badly on the podcast. So I met John because my cousin hosted a four-day retreat in just last fall, in fall of 2018. And I'm hoping she does it again this year because it was so amazing. And it was a silent retreat. And I have to admit, I was a little bit nervous to be quiet for four days. That seemed, I don't know. It's funny because I'm an introvert and I love being quiet, but just not being able to talk, it was a little bit scary. And there was moments when I was there where I was like, oh my God, why am I here? I just want to leave, blah, 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 blah. But it was so amazing. It was so restorative. It was really the highlight actually of my 2018 was these four days I got to spend in silence. And I think it's so important as busy people, as mothers, as people taking care of other people, as women, to really remember that sometimes that self-care we need, that thing we need most deeply to take care of ourselves, is just to slow down and be quiet. And it's funny, as I was at that retreat, it's when I first realized that the O in flow, the OM, which I talk a lot about, that's really what that is about. And I spend so much try- time trying to explain it and put it back on self-care and spirituality. But really what it's about is that part of our lives where we just need to give ourselves time to quiet our mind, to slow down, to not be going so, so fast and be taking everything in around us because around us is so fast. It's, it's, it's hard to make all the other changes that we want to make when we're always going that fast. So I can't wait for you to hear this interview because John has so many great insights and strategies for how we really can slow down the mind. I love how he speaks about this. So before I tell you officially about John, I also wanted to remind you guys that the applications are open for Flow 365. So if you are wanting to slow down and wanting to add in really good food that nurtures both you and your family, plus you have some really big stuff you want to do in the world, work projects, home projects, whatever it is, and you can't for the life of you figure out how you can fit it all in time-wise, this might be just the thing that you want to look into. So head on over to plansimplemeals.com slash flow hyphen 365, and you can read all about it. And there's lots of different buttons 
that lead you to the application so you can apply. And the reason I do it application is because I really want to get to know you. I want to see where you are. I want to make sure that I curate a group or a series of groups that really get along with each other, that are there to support each other. And it's been amazing watching the current cohort just flourish together, even though they're actually really all very different from each other. And you can listen and hear from people who are in the current cohort. Um, an episode just aired um, right before this one, and then right after this one, another one will air. We have four episodes where I interviewed four of the amazing women who are in this program. So make sure to tune into those and go check that out. There will also be links in the show notes. So the other thing I wanted to say is I wanted to address the fact that I'm having John on this podcast because you might have gotten used to hearing from a lot of ladies. And I did that kind of on purpose. I curated that group on purpose because my main mission is to really help women show up to our fullest selves. And a lot of the times I think it's really inspirational to hear from other women. But one of the things I really want to focus on in 2019 is really diversifying who we're hearing from because there's so many people who have so much great information. So men, women, people from different parts of the world, people on different par parts of their journey. So people who are really far along and people who are just at the beginning and maybe more relatable to all of us and people just all sorts of different kinds of people because I think it's really helpful that we learn. And now that there's this structure of really planning to fit those things in, I feel like it's not so necessary that we can identify exactly with the person that we're hearing from. And so that's that's the idea behind this. And you just, I couldn't have not put John in front of you guys. So I'm really excited. So let's hear a little bit about who John is and then let's get him on the show. So John J. Prendergast is a PhD. He is the author of In Touch, How to Tune In to the Inner Guidance of Your Body and Trust Yourself. Um, there's a link to that in the show notes. It's an amazing, amazing book that I have read a couple of times. And he has a forthcoming book, which should be out in the fall, called The Deep Heart, Our Portal to Presence. That link to pre-order is also in the show notes. He's a retired adjunct professor of psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco and a psychotherapist in a private practice. John studied for many years with the European sage Jean Klein, as well as Ajashanti, and he was invited to share the Dharma by Dorothy Hunt. So I love how John always talks about his teachers. I'm actually trying to think back and remember if he did this in this, this interview, but it's really beautiful how he is always crediting his teachers. I know that we talked a little bit about Byron Katie in our interview, who is somebody who I also love. So you guys are just going to love him. And his website is called Listening from Silence, which you can also get to in the show notes. So with no further ado, you guys, let's get John on the show. Hello, John. Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Mia. It's great to be here. Oh my gosh. So for everyone listening, I think I probably talked about this earlier in or in late 2018 when I actually met John in person and got to spend, wow, I think it was three or four days um, mm -hmm. in a silent retreat at my cousin's house, which was just a fantastic experience, which I know I kept talking about. So I'm sure if you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard about it. Um, 
And I'm so just honored to have you here today because I think that everyone's going to love what you have to say. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. So for everyone listening, I just wanted to get John on because I think so much of his teachings, uh, they tap into a different parts, interestingly, of, of what we end up talking around here. And, and so I just wanted to share a little bit about the parts that have been important to me, and then we'll sort of dive into the conversation, see where that leads us in the conversation. So having a practice of just quieting my mind in general has been super important to me in my journey of both parenting, um, figuring out what I needed to do for my work, and also in my relationship to food. So it's really played a, a really important part in all those aspects of my life. Um, but when I you know, started a company and had three kids, there was times when it was really hard to find quiet. So it's interesting because I feel like the quiet both gives me the answers, but also it's, it, it's become a challenge. It, you know, became a challenge at some point to figure out that this is what I needed when life was moving sort of so fast. Um, and actually a lot about your weekend, a lot of the terminology you used was really helpful for me because I had always said, I med you know, I need to go meditate. And somehow that felt like a chore, you know, like I have to go do this thing called meditation that looks some certain way. And then I think you said, let's just sit. And I was like, Oh my God, I can just sit. <laughs> that sounds really easy. Um, so, and, and a lot of the practice for me has been about how to just quiet my mind and let what's really inside me be, be what, what I go with, because that's what, you know, my life and my, that's what I'm wanting to bring forth. And especially when you're raising kids and you're, you know, you, you, all this stuff of how you were brought up and all the world around you moving so fast, there's so much coming at us. And it's really hard to hear that voice of what's inside you. So this is why I need you on this podcast and why everyone listening needs you on this podcast. Hmm. Um, hmm. So with that in mind, let's think about where we should start. What, let's just talk, I guess, about quieting the mind and what that really enables us to access that we might not even know is there. Some people listening might not even know what quieting, like know the benefits of quieting the mind. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you were alluding to a, a kind of inner knowing. Yeah. Uh, if we, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, if we get a little bit quiet, uh, we can begin to start attuning to that. But it's really, um, it's something that's inherent in each of us, uh, what we call a, a quiet inner knowing, a uh, small, still voice, it's sometimes called. But Ordinarily, our attention is really um, wrapped up in our thinking and mm. our ordinary strategic thinking. So I find very, <clears throat> very often when I you know, teach and work with people, one of the first distinctions I make is between awareness and thought. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the distinction is this, that um, whenever we say we're thinking, we say, I am thinking or I'm aware that I'm thinking, right? So what is this awareness that precedes thought? Clearly, you know, we can't think unless we're aware that we're thinking. And, and this awareness is um, often overlooked because it's so difficult to define. It does, doesn't have qualities such as thought or feeling or even sensation. Um, so if we can begin to notice that we are aware of thought um, and that um, thought often is subvocal, 
Um, in other words, we have self-talk going on that we're listening to. We come, become so absorbed in it, we don't realize that there's actually something separate from that, which is awareness. Mm. So making that little distinction between awareness and thought, we begin to attune to awareness. It's, and so attention turns away from thought to that which is aware of thought. It sounds abstract, but it's, it, with a little bit of um, reflection, you can begin to notice that. And the nature of awareness is very different than thought. Thought is very task-oriented, very problem-oriented. And this is the nature of thought, you know, and nature of the mind. It's to detect patterns, envision possibilities, and to solve problems. And mm. so it's great. You know, the, the thinking mind, the ordinary thinking mind is really helpful in terms of practical problem solving, but it's not very helpful in terms of actually recognizing what I would call our true nature or who we really are, which is this silent, loving awareness that's here always, whether we're aware of it or not. And usually it's in the background of awareness. So being able to recognize thinking and recognize the distinction between awareness and thought actually helps us drop in to a quieter place. And <clears throat> so we disidentify from thought. We begin to realize I am here and whether I'm thinking or not. So I am not my thoughts and I'm not confined to my thoughts and I'm not defined to my thoughts. And this actually brings a relaxation and attention can then drop down much more easily into the, into the body and particularly into the heart and into the belly. And this opens up access to a different way of knowing that's much more quiet, much more intuitive, and much more um, aligned with actually what's happening in the moment. So it, it's, uh, it helps when we're in touch with this kind of deeper, more intuitive knowing, it's kind of obvious what to eat and not what to eat and, and how much you know, to eat and not to so eat. So true. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, what we call mindfulness. Yeah. Right? We, we actually start getting out of our conditioned pattern and sensing and feeling what's appropriate in the moment. And that's true with child rearing as well. You know, what do we, how do I deal with this particular situation? You know, if we, if we are quieter within ourselves, we tap into an inner wisdom that's much more actually functional. Um, it doesn't require so much in the way of thinking and certainly not conditioned thinking as well. I love that. And you actually even said something at the beginning. So I love that this practice, you know, helps us just listen to our bodies in terms of what we want to put into it, how we want to move our bodies, how mm -hmm. we're going to talk to our kids, you know, all these things, which we're just picking up from the world around us or our own experiences. But you also said something about the love in you. And another pattern that I see a lot in parents is, or just in women in general, is that we're looking outside of ourselves for that love, that, you know, that feeling of love. And, you know, we're getting mad at our spouse because we're, you know, we're never seeing him and he's not helping wash the dishes. And, you know, the kids are frustrated, like all these things are frustrating us. And it's a lot of times we're looking outside of ourselves for this validation back at ourselves that somehow we're whole and okay. And so. Exactly. And as, I, some, yeah, yeah, and, and as I recall from the retreat, this was one of the big insights for you. Yes. It? Right this kind of seeing that there's this tendency to lean kind of forward and outside of oneself looking for some kind of validation yep. you know, for a sense of worth and discovering actually it's here already. Yep. Right. And, and what a, it's subtle, but a very profound shift that happens when we begin to feel this love 
is who we are, you know, and this is the source really of, of, of who I am. And, and when it's felt as a vibrant knowing within one's heart area and within one's body, then there's a natural kind of differentiation that happens with those around us. We're not as reliant on them for, to fill what we, what we imagine to be empty and lacking yes. ourselves. So we come more from fullness, more from gratitude, um, and less in a place of demanding or trying to manipulate others to show up for us in a way that we think will make us happy. Right, and which, and which doesn't always lead to that, right? Well, <laughs> almost never leads to it. <laughs> it almost leads, almost leads to the opposite. Almost yeah. always leads to the opposite. Because when other people feel us trying to control them to be a certain way, they resist. Yes. You know? Just as we do. You know, when we feel someone's trying to control us or manipulate us, we resist as well. And then we get into power struggles. And, and so, you know, a very important way to step back is really towards self-acceptance. And this is, you know, deep self-acceptance, not just psychological, but really the core of our being, knowing our essential wholeness and fullness. And as we come into that place of self-love and self-acceptance, we're much more accepting and tolerant of others. And that frees them to be as they are, and that frees them actually to change up, change and be their best selves as well. Right, which which is what we want for everyone who we're, we're, we love. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, it, it's really uh, when we do that uh, investigation ourselves, really turn attention inward and get through, begin to examine our stories, our limiting stories, and step back from them and question them and drop in more deeply to what's known on an essential level, a tremendous amount of freedom uh, and self-acceptance emerges. Yeah, and it's interesting because you just, and then I want to go into that part actually of, of the ha a little bit of the how to, to do that and what we're letting go of. But just in terms of time, you know, I did step out of my life for four days to come to this retreat with you, which I actually hugely believe in and, you know, think everybody should step out of their life for, you know, even just a day or two every once in a while. I just think it's hugely helpful to have that time. Um, but even on a daily basis, it doesn't have to take time. It's just more the intention to sit quietly for a little bit mm -hmm. um, and just get into this practice. And I think very often we think of this as selfish somehow because, you know, we're, we're not making breakfast or helping with something that needs to be helped or we're missing some soccer game because we've checked out for four days. And mm. it's really interesting how not selfish it ends up being in the end. <laughs> well, this is true. It's actually because it's not about self-indulgence. Actually, it's about true self-intimacy. Yeah. And as we get closer to who we really are, you know, not necessarily pleasuring ourselves more, but taking true self-care of ourselves, we become more open and available to life and yeah. to everyone else. We're more generous, you know, and, and at the same time, we actually set better boundaries for yes. ourselves as well, and which everyone needs, right? Yes. We all need to know how to set a, a clear boundary but also to live from a, a generous heart. So taking the time um, to step out of our ordinary routine, um, particularly when we're beginning this, kind of having a formal practice can be helpful. Even if we're sitting for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning, kind of before the day begins, to quietly sit in a comfortable place and where we're not going to be interrupted and just letting ourselves know there's no problem that we have to solve in the moment and dropping our attention down into the heart area or the belly, using our breath as a kind of uh, anchor for attention, 
uh, and just attuning with a quietness here will affect one's whole day. And also as the practice deepens, uh, we just fall into simply being awareness and we don't even have to have a, a particular point of focus initially. But the other point is during the day, and this is what you were alluding to Mia, we can take five or 10 minutes when we're sitting in the car, you know, waiting for practice, soccer practice to end, or we have a break, you know, a small break, instead of looking on our smartphones, you know, or listening to the radio, we actually attune <laughs> to the most important source, right, of information and of love within ourselves. And we could take a few breaths and let attention drop down from the head into the heart and the belly and, and open up. So there are many little moments during the day, you know, even if we have five minutes here and there, uh, where we can kind of glimpse or attune with this quieter, deeper knowing. Yeah, and it's and even if we feel a little tinge of guilt doing it, you know, with a, that we might miss a goal or whatnot with our kids. It's interesting because I've watched what happens is my as I create these boundaries. So I've gotten better and better over time at creating this boundary of space for myself. You know, so mm -hmm. I sometimes wake up a little bit earlier, and of course, the second you do that, everybody else starts waking up earlier. So you know, I had to really say, you know, this is my half an hour, and then at this That's time, right. maybe I'll start making breakfast or, you mm -hmm. know, I'm going away for these four days and I will be back and it will all resume. And I have, you know, apologize for what I'm missing, but it's, this is, this is good. And as they watch that, they mimic, right? So I you watch, are modeling. That's yeah. Right. And I, I watch deep breaths be taken, you know, in hard moments now. And, you know, I've even my kids even have a checklist of themselves sitting quietly. And it's just yeah. interesting to watch like that the modeling you know, they're, they're watching this. Even if you think of yourself as being self, selfish by stepping out, you're not because they were literally teaching. Well, that's true. It's, a, it's actually a benefit to yeah. your family and, and everyone around you. And, and that can, you know, we can sort of accept that as an intellectual principle. But then as we actually practice it, we see it coming into, yeah. um, into effect in the way that you're describing. So can we talk a little bit about just for anyone listening is like, okay, great. I have 10 minutes. I go sit. Like, let's talk a little bit about what that, that looks like a little bit or, or what we're doing, not what we're doing. Cause that's the wrong thing to say, but well, it's um, initially there is a doing. Yeah. Okay. Initially, so let's talk a little bit about what this looks like and, and what we might start to be able to feel. Okay. So what I would suggest, like if one is beginning a practice is first um, find a time in a regular time and place where you won't be disturbed or yep. you're less likely to be disturbed. Sit upright, comfortably, um, close your eyes or have them, you know, partially open. Take a few deep breaths and just feel yourself held by whatever it is you're sitting upon. So feeling the weight of your body held and taking a few more deep breaths and letting yourself know there's no problem that you need to take care of, address or solve in this moment. And then shift your attention either to the center of the chest or the lower belly. And just imagine that you can inhale and exhale directly from this area. And this actually allows attention to shift down <clears throat> out of the ordinary thinking mind into a quieter, more grounded place. And let that be the focus of your attention. And what will happen is you'll notice often there'll be, you know, thoughts like, what do I need to do? And, and um, you know, plans for the day. But those will fall away after a few minutes. 
And so you're more with the breath, you're more with the body, and you'll begin to notice the relaxed silence, the quietness. And here some discernment is helpful to notice that there is awareness separate from thoughts or distinct from thoughts. And you begin to simply open to that silent, open sense of awareness. So this comes, it's in the background. As you pay attention to it, it comes more into the foreground. And as you do so, there's a sense of a descent, a kind of uh, deepening and an opening, um, a sense of more silence, uh, a sense of more openness, a sense of more wakefulness. And what's happening is we're actually attuning to our deeper nature as that happens. It, generally, if we're new to it, um, it'll take some time. Um, it's nice to kind of, you know, do it for a few weeks to give it a fair trial. Mm -hmm. um, but once you kind of get into the hang of it, um, you can find within five or 10 minutes, actually a, a very beautiful depth of silence and, and openness um, becoming available. One of my favorite things that you say in that, and I'm just hoping no one's driving and listening to that because I'm, as we're talking, I'm so relaxed now. <laughs> um, but one of the parts that I love that you say is at the very beginning, almost of every time that we would meditate and you just said was that you, the feeling that you're being held. This and, is very important. Yeah. And it, go into that a little bit because that is something that I, I had never heard or felt mm -hmm. so deeply mm -hmm. um, and is so important, I think, to that idea of self-love that yes. you can yes. hold yourself. Yes, and feel yourself held. And yeah. of, course, of course, what we do is when, you know, we, when we take ourselves as very kind of separate as, as a self, we feel that we have to hold ourselves uh, by ourselves, And, and often um, we may or may not be aware of it, but it, it feels like a kind of contraction. Mm -hmm. the way that we tight, tightly hold ourselves up and in. And uh, there's a sense of being kind of restless and ungrounded and anxious and driven when we try to hold ourselves. And in a way, what we're doing is trying to keep a grip on ourselves. Right. right. In order to be in control, in order to make sure nothing bad happens, in order, you know, when you keep following it, it's, it's order basic, in order basically to stay alive. <laughs> not be annihilated. So it's very interesting when you track it, you know, this, this kind of self attempt to self hold or this grip. So that instruction, that simple instruction of simply feeling the weight of your body being held is a kind of cue to feel your being held by something yeah. greater. It's in other words, there's a greater field of awareness within which each of us as individuals are held. And by letting ourselves held, be held, we release an inner grip. We begin to relax. There's an uncoiling of tension and, and an opening and a kind of blossoming and flowering that happens. And it becomes quite palpable, the sense of, um, of being held. So it, in, it invites a deep relaxation and an opening to a greater life. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm assuming it is totally you know, great for anyone who hears it, but particularly as a mother, yeah. uh, there was something about that cue. And I think that that's, that is the starting thought to my meditation ever since we mm -hmm. met because Beautiful. we hold so much, like we, we, mm -hmm. we're constantly holding everyone around us. That's right. And, and, and I think that's part of what we're looking for from outside is, you know, mm -hmm. to want that back. And so just that little cue has been really helpful in my own practice. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, often um, it's not unusual when we 
open to the sense of being held that it's described as being held by the great mother. Mm. You know, in other words, that archetype is often evoked, you know, to let ourselves be as a child and to yes. feel ourselves held. And it's so interesting. Like, you know, I also work as a psychotherapist in, in addition to being a spiritual teacher. And very often uh, in the psychological work, we encounter very young parts of ourself. Yes. Know, have not felt well held, have not felt well seen, you know, have felt neglected or abused in some way. And we look to others for caretaking. Right. And, and as we feel more held in, in this more general sense that we're speaking, we are able ourselves to hold those young parts of ourselves. Yes. So often you have an interesting visualization um, spontaneously appearing of someone holding that part. I'm touching my heart now. Um, your viewers can't see it. Your listeners <laughs> can't see that. But my, both my hands are over my heart center. We feel like we hold these parts of ourselves close to our heart even as we felt held by something greater. Yeah. And this really supports a sense of, of healing and integration and self-intimacy. It's very powerful. Yeah, I love that part. Okay, so as we're sitting, as we're getting this practice, um, the mind comes in from time to time. And I feel like this is when we really get hit with any core limiting beliefs that we might have, right? So we get quiet, it's healing, and then we're sort of, as we come out, we, we sort of are hit with these things that we've just come to believe about ourselves, which mm -hmm. many times aren't true. <laughs> so uh, They're never true. <laughs> they're never true. <laughs> so can we go into that a little bit? Yeah. And um, just, you know, you've, you've worked with so many people, and I think you boiled down a lot of the core limiting beliefs to um, yeah. some ones that yeah. we might all relate to. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I have, you know, I have worked with people for in depth for almost 40 years now and, and uh, both individually and groups. And um, what I've discovered is that we have these core limiting beliefs and um, they're core in the sense that we, um, we hold them very closely and very deeply and sometimes unconsciously, mm. uh, sometimes on the edge of conscious awareness and sometimes some subconsciously and they affect everything in our lives, the way we feel towards ourselves, the way we relate to others, the way we work, um, just our whole relationship to, to life. And they can often be reduced to very simple statements and, um, and even childlike statements like, um, I'm, I'm unworthy to be loved. You know, something's wrong with me. I'm not enough. I mean, a lot of it comes around to I'm not enough. I'm not something enough, right? Yeah. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not, you know, whatever. You know, we can kind of fill in the blanks. But if we take away the, the particular quality that we think we lack, it's actually a sense, an essential sense of lack. I am lacking or alternatively, something's really wrong with me. You know, I'm mm. flawed in some kind of way or, or some, some com combination of those. So we can um, detect them by just asking ourselves, you know, what's, what core beliefs do I hold and see if we can reduce them to five or seven words and in as simple a way as possible and notice if they have a charge because they'll always be accompanied with um, an emotional reaction and also mm -hmm. some kind of bodily tightening or contraction. So when that happens, we know we've tapped into a core limiting belief. And we can kind of figure out what our top five are, you know, on <laughs> our inner jukebox 
of you know top hits. And so the first step is recognizing them. And, and uh, we can also go in through our reactive feelings. If we tend to get angry a lot, if we tend to feel shame a lot, if we tend to feel frightened a lot, we can just feel the feelings and then ask for a minute or two and then ask, what's the belief that goes with this particular um, feeling? So with anger, it might be, it's unfair, you know, in mm. a sense of being a victim. I'm a victim. I'm not being treated fairly. Um, and if it's shame, you know, we're into that not enough and something's wrong and whatever, you know, whatever the emotion may be. Um, and then, and this is the part I think that's particularly, I find potent and, and useful in my work with people is to let the thought go and bring attention to the heart area. And again, we can put our hands uh, or a hand over the heart area and just be quiet for a minute and kind of attune, breathe, feel the heart area. And then ask ourselves, what is my deepest knowing about this belief that I'm not enough or that something's wrong with me or I'm unlovable? And then be quiet and not go to the mind for an answer. This is a critically important step because usually when we pose a question, we go to the thinking mind uh, to try to answer it. But we're actually tapping into inner uh, heart wisdom. And so this requires quietude. We're in a listening mode. So what is my deepest knowing about this belief that I am unworthy, you know, that I'm not enough, that something's really wrong with me? And we get quiet and we listen and we feel. And this is such an interesting process because we're tapping into or accessing this different way of knowing. So it's not going to respond in the typical mental way. Uh, it may come as a, a sensation in the body, uh, as a quiet feeling. It may come as an image um, that just bubbles up uh, unexpectedly. It may come as a song, you know, as a lyric, for instance. Or there may just be a sudden silent knowing that it's irrelevant, completely irrelevant. And with that, there's a sense of relaxation, a sense of peace, a sense of openness, a sense of aliveness. Hmm? And it's very important to actually let that in uh, at that point because now we're accessing a very different way of knowing and being that transforms our conditioned body-mind. We're getting out of the old mode and opening into really a much more direct, intuitive, and profound way of knowing and being. So for instance, um, um, you know, there is something, we, we sit with that core belief and, and some other form of, this other form of knowing presents itself it's like rather than discarding it or dismissing it with the mind, which is, um, you know, a, a common tendency to really sit with it, you know, and let it in. It's almost like letting light into a dark room. This is a yeah. metaphor I often use, like we've been living in a little dark box, you know, and by tapping into this heart wisdom, we're actually opening the blinds of the window that we didn't even know existed, right? So it's important as the light begins to pour in to let it illumine um, the darkened room. And it's a, it's a profound transformational process. Sometimes it'll be quite dramatic. Other times it'll be subtle and slow, but it is palpable. And the whole body-mind begins to reorient to a different way of being in the world. So this is a beautiful way that I've discovered and that um, I share with people to help free them 
from these beliefs. And these beliefs have enormous power. And as we free ourselves from them, you know, we feel much more alive, much more creative, much more loving, much more real and authentic. So we're, we're helping ourselves get out of the box of our conditioned identity, which we stepped into often unknowingly as children, you know? Yeah. And so it's an ongoing process of inquiry um, to begin to recognize and see through um, these boxes that we put ourselves in and live more and more in a way nakedly. You know, we're, we're disrobing the old clothes, the heavy, stinky, <laughs> wet, <laughs> burdensome clo clothing, you know, these uh, veils or wraps that uh, we took on as children. And we feel ourselves more and more free and yeah. uh, tapping into something essential. But, and the, fr the freedom is essentially what so many people are craving. In, in, you know, I feel like so, so many parents get into this moment of feeling trapped. So I feel like it is freedom Ooh. that is, you know, is really what we are all craving, right? It's true. And, it, and the freedom, I mean, there are different, different kinds of freedom. There's a, you know, a relative freedom in terms of our circumstances. Yep where we have more, you know, apparent choices to, you know, how we spend our time. But this is the essential freedom, the inner freedom. And, and as this emerges, we feel that freedom no matter what we're doing, no matter yeah. what the circumstances are as well. And so that's why it's so important. Yeah, and I, I have definitely experienced that. And it's interesting how things that you thought you wanted to change <laughs> don't need to change anymore because it's okay when you... That, that's you it, yeah, that. because we think, we think our freedom depends on those outer changes. Yeah. Right? And we discover that it doesn't, that we can be free within our lives. You know, yeah. we don't, although, although sometimes we do need to change our lives. And, yes. And that becomes more obvious and we feel freer to do that as well. There's more self-trust. Mm -hmm. um, and do you feel like people, we, we all need some guidance in all this? I mean, you've alluded to the fact that somebody could sit, you know, with themselves for a certain amount of time every day, but mm -hmm. I, I have personally felt that I needed to get guidance at different junctures. <laughs> well, I, you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have felt that way as well and, and continue to. So, yeah. so we're all, we're always learning, right? And, yeah. And uh, I think it's, you know, as they say, we're lifelong learners. And so um, guidance is always helpful. Um, the interesting thing about this process is it can be very helpful to have conversations like, you know, the one we're having mm -hmm. right now or that happen on retreats where there's really an opportunity to look very carefully at our direct experience yeah, and to approach it without judgment, you know, yes. and with... Um, becoming more and more intimate with our actual direct experience. As we do so, you know, this different kind of knowing uh, begins to emerge more clearly and we need less guidance, right? Yes. So there's a transitional period where we may need a fair amount of guidance to get out of the old mode and free ourselves to become more independent and autonomous. But that is, that would be the purpose of guidance is actually help us recognize our inner guidance. So, it's interesting you brought up that thing of uh, the idea of reflecting without judgment on, mm -hmm. and we're talking about something a little bit different, but over in our community um, in women who've signed up for a year to um, really 
you know, cultivate the life that they want. We once a week look at what happened the week before without judgment Mm -hmm. in order to make different choices the next, um, Mm -hmm. the next week. Mm -hmm. And it's real, it's really interesting to come from that perspective of just acknowledging what's happened instead of saying like, Oh my gosh, I didn't do this. And I said I would, and I, you know, (laughs) and I promised myself this and then I couldn't show up and, and just, acknowledging and it's it's funny how just that acknowledgement can really help move you forward in a different way without you know all the drama that i think sometimes we put on these situations exactly so actually judge self-judgment or judgment any kind of judgment of others uh, impedes the process of opening and transformation it doesn't help it just always creates distance and alienation within ourselves and between ourselves and others. This is a very important principle. Actually, I learned from Byron Katie. When oh, I, I love studied, her work. When, you know, whom I studied with 20 years ago when she first became kind of offering her, you know, her work more publicly. Um, and she's brilliant. You know, it's really, she's really, really developed a lovely method for deconstructing our judgments of others. And, and uh, it works equally well in terms of our self-judgment. So there's a very important distinction to be made between judgment and discernment. Mm. Judgment is comparing our experience to some ideal. And right. it always, always falls flat, right? And we can detect our judging by the use of the word should in our thinking, in our speaking. I should have, I should not have, they should have, they should not have. We're in judging mind, right? We're comparing our direct experience with what we imagine it should be you know, some ideal. So this gap, there's always a gap between the actual and the ideal. So discernment is actually just seeing things as they are. There's not an evaluation, good, bad, right, wrong. It's just like, here's what happened, or here's what's happening, or here's what's happening right now. I'm in a reaction, right? I can feel it in my body. I can tell in my feelings. I can see in my thinking, you know that a reaction is happening or not happening, whatever the experience may be. But now we're actually close to what's happening, right? We can actually let ourselves feel our feeling. We can let ourselves sense what we're sensing. We can actually see what we're thinking, right? And begin to investigate it. And this allows us to become increasingly intimate with our experience. And this intimacy, not trying to change it, but actually exploring it and sensing it and feeling it more closely, allows a natural transformational process to unfold. Can you go a little bit deeper into that idea of feeling it and sensing it? Like, can yeah. We, yeah. So, so for instance, you know, if we have, um, I don't know, do you want to pick a, a, re- <laughs> a reaction? Yeah, let's think. Um, I don't know, just, well, let's just use the example of, you know, you've said you're going to do something in a week. What would we have said we would do? You're going to finish some project, but then mm-hmm. and kids, it's, and and it's then, unfinished and it's unfinished and the, and it's unfinished because the kids got sick and your husband's traveling. Right. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So we noticed that. All right. The unfinished project. And of course the to-do list is endless, isn't it? Oh so, my gosh. Of course. So th- There's always projects. <laughs> this is a very kind of philosophic view, you know, is the, the endlessness of the to-do list that actually gives us some space, all right? Yes. But we notice maybe there's some tension around the project that's undone. So we actually take a breath and we notice where in my body do I feel that, right? 
Maybe it localizes in the solar plexus. This is often where we hold tension around doing. Mm -hmm. So we become curious. It's like, okay, tension in the solar plexus. So it's localized in the body. That helps. It's like, where am I feeling this? And we just let ourselves feel the tension. And we let let ourselves feel the emotion, which might be anxiety as well. What will people think? Or what what will happen if I don't do it? You know, or you know, any stories around it also, right? And we may get in touch with a core belief. Like if I don't do this, then I don't have any value. And if I don't have any value, I'll be rejected and abandoned and outcast and die, right? I mean, it's amazing how deep these uh, anxieties go. So, yeah, we, we sense where in the body it is, a sensation, if there are emotions such as fear, we let ourselves feel it, right? in a very innocent way, not trying to change it, but just willing, just curious, affectionate. We may want to breathe into it. Um, One of the questions I often pose to people as they become more intimate with their experience, sensing and feeling is, you know, after a few minutes of just sensing and feeling, I say, what's in the very core of it? (laughs) It's a very interesting question. You know, it's like, what's in the very center? What's in the very core of it? And so, Breathing into it, inquiring into it, it tends to reveal itself more and often shows itself to be different than we initially imagine. So say, for instance, in this case, the unfinished project maybe brings up a sense of being incompetent. Mm-hmm. And it's an old pattern that we inherited maybe when we were little. Maybe we felt like we could never uh, hit the mark properly and, and uh, gain the approval you know, of mom or dad, you know, who are always expecting us to do something different or better. And so we feel like a failure, right? It it can go to that level, you know, Uh, and then it can go to another level of, you know, I just can't get everything done as a human being. And so I'm a failure, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then we keep going into it and it all falls apart. (laughs) You know, the deeper we go into it, the less substance, um, we ultimately feel. And then a kind of inner freedom and energy uh, may open up. We may question the belief and see that it's not true. And we are, have just discovered a portal to our essential nature. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's very interesting because usually we're turning away from these experiences. Yeah. Right? We're trying to avoid them. We, and we do it in many ways. We keep ourselves busy. We numb ourselves and distract ourselves. But with this approach, we begin to lean into our experience, realizing these are actually ways in to our depth, properly understood, not trying to get rid of it or change it, but actually to go into the depth of whatever is there. Now, having said that, if we have a background of a conditioning that has trauma in it, we want to be more careful. We We want to make sure we're more resourced you know, that we're not going to get pulled down into kind of a vortex of, um, you know, powerlessness or whatever the trauma may have evoked in us. So we may need help. Yeah. We may need to calm ourselves first and step in, step out. Let's call it titrate the experience. But generally speaking, if we're not getting into traumatic material, we can feel and sense and inquire our way um, deeply into these patterns and discover you know, an essential freedom and sense of well-being. 
this is, I have a question about the other side of it. So it's interesting because, well, I keep asking questions that are leading us toward the limiting beliefs and, you know, the, the thing we didn't get done. But is it true on the other side too, if something fantastic happens, that we can do that same inquiry because shouldn't we be the same amount detached from that? Do you know what I mean? Well, like, so I, I, right. So something goes particularly well. Yeah. In other words, how do we hold that? Yeah. Well, with generally, when things go well, and if we're telling our stories that are not particularly critical, there's not a problem. Okay. Uh, unless we start getting inflated. Right. Uh, like how special I am, how, you know, above others I am. You know, if it, if it evokes a sense of superiority, then we're getting it something to look at and be curious about. It's like, oh, I did that so well. I'm a super whatever. <laughs> yeah. Know, super... I don't know what mother <laughs> and uh, I'm better than others. And that creates a sense of separation. So if we notice that sense of separation arising, then we become curious. Okay. Why do I need to be recognized as superior? Right. You know? Well, it's compensating for a sense of being inferior. Right. And so, yeah, if we're, if we're very pressured to kind of prove our value, it's because we're trying to disprove a core limiting belief that we lack value. Interesting, because well, the thing I the instances I'm thinking of is I find very often women don't celebrate things that do go well, and I imagine that part of that has to do with that separation where the thing that the the thing they've done very well is coming from the outside. So maybe they've mm -hmm. you know made some amount of money, or you mm -hmm. know their child's done something good, or mm -hmm. you know something happened well, but they might not have that sense that same sense within themselves. That's true. Yeah. And it's beautiful to celebrate successes. Yes. And then enjoy uh, the flourishings and flowerings of our life. And you know, even when they're very small. So, you know, it's not all hard work. <laughs> it's all in service really of play and celebration and creative work. Yeah. Well. I love that. Okay, so I don't want to keep you on for too long. So I, I, I'm not sure that I have other questions. Do you have anything that you feel like people should hear knowing what you've already told them? Hmm. Well, something about um, gratitude for simply being. Hmm. It, it's beautiful. I guess I'm, I want to talk about a gratitude practice. Um, and, you know, there are mindfulness practices to be kind of count our blessings and be grateful for what we have. And those are beautiful and they're worth remembering. Um, but I think an even deeper sense of gratitude is to be grateful that we're alive and mm -hmm. that we're awake and that there is this extraordinary mystery of human life that's unfolding and that we often get so lost in the details of uh, what needs to be done and what's required of us in our roles, that we overlook the very simplicity of being itself. Mm. We are awake and alive and experiencing this mystery of life, and we ourselves are a living mystery, uh, participating in, uh, in that. And uh, this is a deep, as the heart awakens, uh, we feel more and more grateful for no reason. You know, we're grateful to simply be. So for some reason, I feel like sharing that. I love that. You know, a prompt in the planner is it, every day is to acknowledge what you're grateful for at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. 
So include so, grateful to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's I think it's 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 super important and, and interesting. I love that you say grateful for being, um, because one of the things that I've played with in my own life is an inclination to under be. Yes. Um, and I think that you know that this can be a tendency of people who are really you know helpers and servers. That's right, doers and servers. Yeah. Yeah. And so just that, that gratitude does help lift us into this, you know, into being in action in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our doing really ultimately uh, when it's rooted or sourced in being, it really has a different quality to it. Yes. I love that. Well, everyone listening, John wrote an amazing book called in touch, which has lots of, I feel like it has lots of very tangible exercises in it. It's a very easy read that has a lot of background, like how he shared here, but also just exercises and meditations that can take us all deeper into all these practices. So that's amazing. And you have another book coming out soon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called The Deep Heart and also published by Sounds True. And I'm um, in the editing process of it now. It'll be out in November of this year, 2000. 19. Awesome. Well, we can all look for that as well, but I highly recommend your book, which I don't always highly recommend people getting more books, but this one is one that I open regularly. So thank you for writing that. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. At the end of every episode, we choose three doable changes so you can take what you've heard and put it into action. Now, the idea behind these three doable changes is not that you even do all three, but that you choose one, the one that really resonates with you today, and you commit to it for a week. You figure out how to fit it into your busy schedule, you make time for it, you experiment with different ways to make it happen, and at the end of the week, you'll find that you've really created a new habit, or you check something off your list that you wanted to do or whatever your doable change happens to be for that week, whatever it gives you. And at the end of a year, you will find that these things add up. And it is so much better to do it this way, I have found over the years, than to try to do everything at once. Because what happens when we're busy parents and we have work and we have kids and we have home is that when we take on too much, something derails us and then we're back to square zero or one. And this way we really are building. And if we have a bad week or a week where we're away or the kids are homesick, it's okay because the next week we can show up to our doable change. So this week, the first doable change is to sit quietly. Take 10 to 15 minutes daily to just sit quietly Try using the practice that John outlines in the show. We've actually extracted his the practice that he suggests as its own audio so that you can hear it and just be guided through the process. So you can either listen to the whole thing or just listen to that part. Remember that thoughts will likely come into your head as you settle, but they will fall away. Don't get discouraged. It takes time to get used to this practice. So your job is to just keep showing up for those 10 to 15 minutes a day. And then who knows, maybe someday you'll add to it. Five minutes might have to do some days, but that is okay. And I love the word sit quietly. And 
John, if you listen to the episode, you know, really changed this relationship for me because sit quietly essentially is the same as what maybe I used to call meditation. But meditation came with, I don't know, it got stressful actually. It was something I felt I had to do. Where sitting quietly just has a different resonance as a word. And so just calling it that has really helped me. So commit to sitting quietly daily. Number two, dig into what doesn't get done. Think about a project you didn't get done that you really meant to do. How do you feel about that? And where do you feel it in your body? I love how John talks us through really feeling things in our body. Get curious about that feeling. Notice any stories you're telling yourself about the project or any core limiting beliefs related to it that start to bubble up. Question that belief. Practice discernment. Noticing things as they are without judging and really let yourself feel it. So discernment is so important for us to get used to because it's such an important part of everything that we teach here. And I love the way that John teaches about discernment because we have to learn from our life. And if we judge ourselves at every step of the way and we can't distance ourselves enough to learn and really feel things in our body, it's really hard to make the changes that we're seeking to make. So I love this one really digging into your body. So it could look like the same thing as sitting, except you're really questioning yourself and feeling what those, where you're feeling things, asking lots of questions. And journaling is a really helpful part if this is the doable change you take on for this week. Okay, number three, practice gratitude. Write down something you are grateful for at the beginning and end of each day. And then Take a moment to be grateful for just being. So gratitude practices have been really important to me. They're so important to me that they're part of the flow planner. So if you get the flow planner every day, you're asked to jot down three things that you're grateful for. But interestingly, it took me a while to really take in the things that I'm grateful for. So I love that John points this out that really you have to sit with what you're grateful for. You have to feel it in your body. And that is such an important part of this practice. So I can't wait to hear from you guys. Make sure to check in on Instagram. Come join the conversation. Tell me what you're doing this week, what your experiment is. And I just can't wait to see how this episode affects so many lives. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple podcast. If you loved what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give is to share the podcast with a friend. And if you really loved what you heard, if you want to go onto iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review, that really helps us get the best guests we can and improve the podcast so that we're serving up exactly what you want to hear. I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for now.